Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Hey, my name's Gary. For those that have not met me yet, uh, uh, it's good to be back up front. It's been a while. But uh, Kelly called me yesterday and said, hey, could you talk tomorrow? (laughs) Just kidding. No, we plan these things out. But uh, hey, it's good to be uh, back in the mix. Uh, We are in the book of Joshua. And I'm going to take a little bit of a side trip today. Still kind of pertains to the whole context of Joshua. We're not going to be dealing from the book of Joshua. Uh, The question I want to ask today, uh, I think it's important to kind of chew on a little bit, is why, why this piece of dirt? Why did God choose this land for the promised land? What was the, the point of that? I mean, he's God. He owns the world. He could have had this, these two million refugees go anywhere. You know, hey, I'll give you, let's find the, the choicest piece of land that you can thrive in. You know, they just did wipe out Egypt. I mean, so much for that warfare. Uh, the whole army's gone. Uh, the Nile River, dependable crops. It was a, rich in resources. Could have just kind of moved right back into Egypt and said, no, we're, we're going to take over this place. We're going to transform this. This will be God's kingdom. Uh, that would have been kind of cool. Um, could have picked anywhere. Uh, Rome, somewhere that, you know, I, I know the future. Rome's going to be kind of center place. I think I want to be there in the middle of that. Um, but instead he chose Israel, as we know today, uh, the land of Israel, which is really arid, scrub brush, a lot of desert. Uh, you have to work hard to get crops produced. Uh, you know, it's got, it's got good things to it, but overall, uh, and not the greatest choice. Plus, they had to go battle tons of other people just to establish this place. Um, well, what if it wasn't about resources and power? What if it was more about mission and intent? You know, what is, what is God up to? You know, God's desire has always been, uh, still is, uh, to reveal himself to the world, to attract people to who God is, and win them back, ultimately to have a relationship with mankind that was broken way back in the garden. I mean, from that point on, God's whole heart desire is, how do I let people know who I am and, and be back in relationship? And so he started that mission, as we uh, discovered many months ago in, uh, in Genesis, when God came to Abraham, and here's what, here's what he said in Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I'll, whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. I mean, it's an astounding statement to one man, one old man. (laughs) This vision of, I'm going to make you a great nation. Why? To be a blessing to the world. That's your mission. God has always been looking for partners that would put him on display. And he started with Abraham to say, I want to use you. You're going to be a great nation so that you can be a blessing. The nation of Israel, the intention, why, why there? Because God wanted them to engage the world, to influence the world, to ultimately transform 
the world, not to separate or withdraw to be, hey, we're just going to flourish as this country over here. We don't have to interact with anybody. Uh, that would not put God on display. Well, if you look at the promised land, it's, it's perfectly situated for what God intended. Uh, let's look at the geography, if you will, of the Old Testament times. Uh, you know, you kind of look at the map and you kind of go, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of there in the middle. It is, it is known as the crossroads. If you look down there, the, the kingdoms, you see later will be Greece, that kingdom, but you know, Egypt right there, rich. Uh, you've got Assyria, Persia, Babylon over there. Eventually have Rome over there. Well, <clears throat> this was the crossroads. If you wanted to interact, if you wanted to trade, there is one way to go between these kingdoms, and that is through Israel. Uh, it's called the Via Mara, is the road that goes basically from Egypt all the way through uh, Israel, and it kind of forks. You can go into uh, Asia or up into Greece, Asia Minor. Um, it's a, it's a, you can't go over here. Too much desert, you can't get, the, you've got to go through Israel. It's like, that's the road. It's like you had an interstate system. This would be I-1 right there. Um, <laughs> there it is. Uh, and then there's also an east-west road that goes basically from Jerusalem to Jericho Road. If you extend it, if you continued on that road, it goes all the way into the east to, the, to Asia, to the spice markets, uh, which to us sounds, oh, that's nice, convenient. No, spices were kind of the thing back in the day. Spices were kind of like oil today. Uh, well, Herod, by the way, Herod was part of a family that controlled the spice trade. He was perfectly situated to say, you know what, I'm going to control, I'm going to take something off of everybody that comes through here. Um, and he literally did. He became, if you look at the dollars today, uh, Elon Musk, pennies. Uh, Zuckerberg, you know, just all these rich people, they would pale in comparison to Herod. Herod had so much wealth, and it was because of that east-west East-West spice trade. Well, economically, if you look at it from that standpoint, you control this land, you can control the world. You can control, at least economically, the trade of the world, if that's your desire. But God was looking at it spiritually. God said, if we control this space, we can impact, we can influence the world by being right here in the midst of, of everything. Um, so, but there, uh, there comes a danger with this, uh, not too surprisingly, uh, because you can be in this great opportunity to impact the world, but it comes with great warning or danger. Uh, choices, are you going to influence others or be influenced? Uh, and first, you know, you're in the crossroads, it also means you're in the crosshairs. I mean, it's also the route that people took when they were trying to conquer other kingdoms. So they're, they're in the crosshairs, militarily, uh, it's a tough place to be. There's a danger in there. Uh, but again, God was looking at it spiritually and said, hey, there's a, there's a bigger danger to me. I'll take care of the enemies. I'll take care of that. What God was mostly concerned about is, are you going to influence them or are they going to influence you? Are you going to be ones that stand out and do and be the mission or are you going to get absorbed? Uh, that, was, that was the question they asked. And God, you, uh, one example... You know, when God 
puts him in the land, probably the primary warning God gave, do not intermarry with this culture. Uh, why? Wasn't any. It was, it was because they will take you away from me. You will start following after their gods. Uh, don't intermarry. Don't mix in. Don't be a, that will mean you will be absorbed by the culture and will have no impact. Um, so that was, that was a warning. Well, so what does all this have to do? Does it have to do with us today in our culture? Uh, I would say yes, absolutely, in every way. Why? Because it's the same God. It's the same mission. It's a different piece of dirt, wherever we are. Uh, But it's the same danger, uh, the same lessons we can learn about our own situation. Uh, I think uh, Paul put it well. Here's what he said in Romans, Romans 12, 2. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I mean, there's, there's an invitation and a warning. I mean, the invitation is, hey, don't conform to the world. Be transformed. Then you will know God's perfect will. Your life will be rich. That's the, the good news. Um, the bad news is, if you don't, you'll be transformed. I mean, you'll be conformed to the culture. You'll lose that uh, opportunity that you had. Um, so, um, <laughs> well, uh, what, are, what are our crossroads, you might ask? What are uh, in our culture? I kind of picked out three just for us to chew on. One is the uh, obvious college culture. We live in a college town. There's a whole separate culture up on the hill. Uh, anybody experience college? Know what I'm talking about? It's a <laughs> Yeah, obviously. It's a different culture. Uh, You could also say the same thing. Every college student that comes to Pullman has to look at that and say, how am I going to engage? How am I going to live in that culture? What's my life? How am I going to interact in that culture? Um, In the same way, we could look at just our everyday workplace. I think every workplace has its own culture. It's like, how am I going to engage that workplace culture? Is it going to be separate from the rest of my life, or somehow, how do I interact in a way that flourishes? Um, and a third would just be relationships. Who are the people that, that we choose to build relationships with and really live life with? Is that a, in all three of those areas, are we, are we going to have the opportunity to stand out, to influence, to transform, or are we going to be conformed? To the culture that we find ourselves in. Um, so it may be two or three different arenas for all of us. Uh, but that's the choice we have when we enter into whatever culture we're talking about. Uh, as many of you know, I spent a long time on Young Life staff, uh, 31 years. And the last 13 years on Young Life staff, I was college director. So me and college life, we, we know each other well. Uh, every year, our Young Life college staff would meet somewhere in the country and talk about, you know, whatever you do at annual conferences, uh, what's coming up, what's uh, been, uh, be inspired. And we've been to a lot of kind of interesting places, went to San Antonio, San Diego, Phoenix, New York City once. Uh, but in some ways, one of my favorite places, we went to New Orleans. Uh, never been there before. New Orleans is a fascinating culture. Um, <laughs> And we chose, I think I got a picture up here of the 
The Bourbon Street Hotel is where we stayed. Anybody been there? Anybody seen that before? It's an awesome hotel. Uh, and just keep that up there for a minute. And we were, uh, even some donors of Young Life College, when they found out, hey, where are you staying? Where, what are you doing in New Orleans? It's like, oh, we're staying in the Bourbon Street Hotel. Hmm, I'm not sure. <laughs> really? Uh, because in some ways, this is the crosshairs of New Orleans. Uh, interesting place, because this street right here in front, that's Bourbon Street. Uh, that's the Mardi Gras Street. That's, that's the party street. You can go up and down for blocks, and it's just pub after pub and tattoo parlors and uh, you name it. That, that's, that's Party Central. Um, and then if you look down there on the right, if you go out this door, it's Bourbon Street. If you go out that door and you look down the street, uh, you'll see uh, St. Louis Cathedral in, I think it's Jackson Square. And it's a known place. Why? Because it's got a statue of Jesus in front of it, which is not totally unusual. Jesus standing there with his arms raised. Uh, but the interesting thing is at night, they always have a light shining on Jesus, and so behind him, his shadow appears on the church. And there it is. Uh, and the locals all call it Touchdown Jesus. <laughs> so kind of not the most complimentary comment. Uh, so I remember the first night we met, uh, our director uh, talking to us, says, uh, shared with us how he received some criticism about where we were staying and you know, can you find a better place to stay than? <laughs> and his response was this: He goes, "No, no, this is exactly where Young Life College wants to be. We want to be between Touchdown Jesus and Bourbon Street. We want to be right in the middle of the culture. If we'll take that opportunity to engage the culture and not be consumed by it, uh, that's our that was our goal. And I, so it was a great picture. But I think it's a great picture." For us, too, because it's our mission. How do we engage a culture without being absorbed by it? How do we live in and make a difference, or do we just kind of, we're unknown, we're unseen, there's no difference, you can't tell the difference between us and anybody else in the culture. Uh, That's, I think, the tension, I think that's the challenge, but it's also the invitation that God gives us to say, hey, I got a mission for you, and it has to do just with who you are and where you are. God places us just where he wants us. And do we understand that? Uh, do we appreciate that? Uh, I want to give a little lesson from, because uh, there are really two extremes of this challenge. And sometimes, and I think the majority, vast majority of people that follow Jesus say, well, I'm, you know, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm being absorbed into the culture. I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but I'm also bought into all of what the culture has to offer and say, um, indistinguishable from anybody else in the culture. Then there's a separate group that said, no, you know, I'm not going to engage the culture at all. I'm going to be separate. I'm not going to associate with people that buy into the culture. I'm not certainly not going to engage in the culture in any way. And so they separate. Neither one is, I don't think, what God intends for us. Uh, he wants us to engage the culture, but in a way that reflects who he is. Um, a little lesson from the promised land. I'll show you a quick picture of the tribes. Because back uh, before they entered the promised land, God told Moses, hey, as he blessed the different tribes and said, here's where you're going to be. So this was kind of his, hey, I'm going to put you into this country. And then each tribe, here's your spot. 
here's where you're going to be. It seems kind of, uh, I don't know, rhyme or reason. It's not like 12 perfectly square spots. Uh, and I wanted to highlight one is Dan down here. The tribe of Dan, they were wedged in there between Ephraim, Benjamin, Judah, and in some ways a great spot to be because Judah was probably the strongest uh, tribe. They had the most warriors, uh, most support, if you will. But on the other hand, uh, the Philistines were right along the border of Dan. And so Dan was constantly raided. They were constantly assaulted by the Philistines, and it wore them down. Wore them down so much to the point that they, the leaders of the tribe of Dan said, hey, we're, we're moving. Uh, we don't want to be here. Uh, we can't handle all this. And so they started to look around, sent spies into the land, and they, they found another spot, uh, a remap, they relocated up there in the far right corner. Hey, nobody to, you know, nobody controlling that. We can take over that land really easily. We can live in peace and comfort. Uh, we'll take care of ourselves. Thank you. Thank you, God, for... We're going to take that spot up there. Well, <clears throat> didn't go so well for Dan. Uh, Dan was the first tribe wiped out by the Assyrians and literally disappeared from <laughs> human history in a large part. Uh, they were annihilated. 721 uh, B.C., they were taken over by uh, Assyria. And there's, there's a lesson to that one. Uh, there's a lesson. Oh, by the way, in Revelation, if you read, I can't remember what chapter it's in, homework, you can look that one up. But there, uh, as God reveals the future and talks about the tribes of Israel in Revelation, Dan is left out, not even listed anymore. Uh, Joseph is inserted in there. There's still 12, 12 tribes. And, uh, but it's fascinating because I think the lesson God's trying to say is, hey, stay where, stay where you're planted. Don't be absorbed. Don't be taken over. Don't be defeated because you want to be in your own place. You want to be in a, a place that you can control, where you're comfortable, where you're safe. Um, I'll give you what you need. That is not the issue. It's not like, hey, some people have it really tough and others have it really easy. Uh, God gives what you need for where you're at. I, I sincerely believe that. Uh, well, I want to take a quick history lesson, quick uh, look at the culture in Jesus' day. What was the culture that Jesus entered into, and how did the, the people of God react to that culture? Just a kind of comparison, if you will. Uh, interesting, I, I find this fascinating because we are a product of the culture that was there when Jesus entered the world. Uh, the Hellenistic culture is what uh, he came face to face with. It, it was in the Rome, Roman culture, but Rome took it all from Greece. Uh, before Alexander the Great, every you looked at those Persia and Assyria and Babylon and Egypt and you know, all the kingdoms and all the battles and taking each other's land and all that kind of stuff. If you wanted to hold that, you had to have a strong enough military. You had to occupy that country and, and enforce your dominance over that country. Uh, and that's the way it was. And so you, you could only extend your kingdom so far. You know, if you had a huge military, maybe you could control more property. Uh, you could control more land, control more people. But Alexander was brilliant. Alexander said, oh, we're going to do something different. We're going to create a culture that people want to be a part of. We don't have to enforce it. People will go, yeah, give me that culture. And so they created a culture based on really four pillars. Hey, we're, we're as a, a city-state, 
We're going to provide health care, free health care. We're going to provide education. We're going to provide entertainment. And we're going to provide competition athletics. And people go, this I can live with. Uh, you didn't have to enforce that. Uh, they were giving them all this stuff that appealed to everybody. Uh, so you, they created, you know, we, we went to uh, Israel, and you can still see some of the, and the, uh, uh, the cities that were originally Greek cities, but Rome took it over. And Rome basically made the Hellenistic culture uh, on steroids. I mean, they just made it. You look, you've been to uh, Rome itself. How big is a Colosseum? You know, what, 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 what does the, the architecture of Rome tell you about the culture? Well, they got the theaters, and they got the competition, and they got the health care, and the education. You know, we're going to make sure everybody's educated. Uh, does this sound familiar? Our culture, perhaps? Yeah, it's no different than our culture. We live in the same culture. And I, I love education, health care, Seahawk fan, uh, Taylor Swift, couldn't make it to the concert. But you know, the same four pillars, basically, that, pe- that draw people to say, this is the culture I want uh, to live in. Well, there were five responses to that culture by the Jewish people um, when uh, Rome came and occupied Israel. And here, I'll just run through them real quick, see if you can see any parallels. Um, but the first group were the Sadducees. Uh, the Sadducees, kind of a different group. They were, they were kind of a ruthless group. They were basically seven families that descended from the chief priests. Uh, they were the, they were the, really the group that put Jesus on trial that had the most to do with crucifying Jesus. They were a crime family. They extorted people. They, this was not a spiritually founded group of people. Uh, they definitely bought into the culture for their own benefit. We're going to control people. We're going to benefit from, from this culture. They taxed people to death. All, all of that. Uh, there was group number one. Uh, Herodians, number two. These were, uh, they gave into Hellenism as well, followers of Herod. Her- Herodians, Herod. Uh, he was totally into the culture as well. And it's a wide spectrum. I mean, these are people that said, yeah, I, uh, I like these things in the culture. I'm still Jewish, but I'm going to take advantage of these things. And so they, they enjoyed the culture. Herodians, a wide spectrum from those that totally gave in to those that marginally gave in. Um, <laughs> I'm Herodian. No question. If you look at the other three options, like, okay, maybe I'm Herodian too. Um, and that's okay. Uh, I would make comment first. There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the four pillars. There's nothing wrong with wealth or comfort or entertainment. Or The question is, are we taking advantage of and enjoying those elements of the culture, or are we buying into the worldview that's behind that culture? Are we pledging allegiance to that culture? Is that what we're depending on for our life? Uh, that, that would be the difference, and we're going to talk about that a little more in a minute. But uh, we should struggle in our culture, trying to decide. I hope we struggle a little bit to say, how much of this am I really buying into? How much of that am I really depending on? Um, well, that was the uh, Herodians, probably the biggest group. Third group would be the Pharisees. Um, we all know about the Pharisees, or, or do we? They get a bad rap a lot of times. They get sometimes connected to Sadducees, but in fact, they hated the Sadducees because the Sadducees gave into the culture. 
Uh, and they, they weren't really into the ruthless uh, ways of, uh, of the Sadducees. So the Pharisees, they were ones that wanted to protect, obey the law, honor God, protect the, the text, uh, and they separated in part. They kind of went up into the Galilee. Uh, that's where they called home. So that's where the Pharisees took up most of their residence. They wanted to get out of Jerusalem because of how corrupt it had become. So that Jesus had a lot uh, of interaction with them, uh, certainly criticized because they gave in to the culture as well, uh, maybe without realizing it. Um, they, they separated, in a sense, spiritually from, uh, from what God intended. But that's the Pharisees. And the third, or fourth, would be the Essenes. The Essenes were a group that John the Baptist was probably an Essene. Um, they, had, they were into separation. They were into, you no, know, we're going out in the desert. <laughs> but they wanted to honor God. They wanted to preserve the text. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were a product of the Essenes. Uh, we have them to thank for preserving the text of the Old Testament, uh, a lot of which are fascinating to see how well they preserved uh, the Old Testament text from being taken over. Uh, so that was the Essenes. And then finally, the Zealots. The Zealots said, you know, we're not just going to resist, we're going to rebel. Uh, they didn't like Rome being in their arena, so they were going to fight tooth and nail to eliminate even having to be in this culture. They wanted to dominate and take it over. Well, those are kind of the five groups. And it's fascinating because Jesus didn't say, well, <laughs> Uh, I don't know who I can use here. He had people from every group, except for me, the Sadducees. But if you think about it, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was one of the ruling Pharisees. Uh, you had uh, Judas was a, a zealot, maybe another uh, disciple. You had uh, Essenes, John the Baptist, as I mentioned, and John the Baptist had his followers. I think Andrew and uh, his brother were part of that. They were disciples of John the Baptist before they were disciples of Jesus. Uh, Herodians, probably a, a number of them, that were, that were Jewish, wanted to honor God, but they also were involved in Matthew, the tax collector. There's a great Herodian. Yeah, I'm Jewish. <laughs> I'm going to take full advantage of the, uh, the culture here. I'm going to become wealthy off of this culture. Uh, so that, that's kind of the mix we had then. Um, I don't know if you can see where you fit in that spectrum. I already mentioned I'm um, <laughs> 98% Herodian. Maybe I'm 2% Pharisee. Hey, I'm going to honor God in great ways, but I still struggle a lot with how much I give into the culture. Uh, well, the challenge, let's get to the, the nitty-gritty here. The challenge is how do we live in the tension between influence and absorption? How do we influence people? How do we impact? How do we transform the world without being consumed by the culture that we live in? That, that's the question. Now, I would say first, be a witness. And most people's response is, I can't do that. I'm not really comfortable with that. Because we think being a witness means I have to stand out and tell people all about God. But that's not what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I'm talking about, uh, you don't have to say a word. The key is just having a relationship, a growing relationship with God, which means God is present with you. God People see God in you. When they look at your life, the way you choose to live your life, regardless of what culture you're involved with, you honor your relationship with God. You're a witness. Because i got news for you. You are a witness. Whether you decide to be 
one kind of witness or another. We're, how you live your life tells the world what you believe about God. Uh, firmly believe that. However you choose to live your life tells a story about what God is like to you. Um, so that's the way I would look at that. What kind of witness am I for God in the culture that I'm involved in? Um, so the key is God's presence in you, I think. And it's fascinating because here's back to Moses again. Uh, there was a time when Israel didn't respond early on very well. They rebelled, the uh, calf, all that kind of stuff. God finally just says to Moses, hey, uh, yeah, you're going to go. I'm going to send my cloud. You're gonna direct, but I'm not going to go with you. I will not be present with you because of the rebellion of the people. I'm not going to be present. And here's Moses' great response. Love it. Exodus 33, 15, 16. Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? I mean, I love that. Moses knows it's not about how we behave. It's not about how we conquer. Or, it's not, no. If you're not with us, if people don't know that you are with us and for us, then we, we're not different from anybody else. So the key to all of this is not behavior. It's, it's just honoring your relationship with God. Uh, and people will notice that. That will influence people. It's not performance uh, that will do it. It's presence. People see God in you. That influences people. Uh, people aren't looking at believers, or they assume are believers, going, well, how, how good do I need to be to be one of them? That doesn't really impact people very well. But they go, oh, God, it seems like God is with that person. I want that. Tell me more about that. I think that's the opportunity we have in whatever culture we find ourselves in. Um, here's how Jesus described it to his followers. Uh, I love these two phrases, maybe looking at it a different light. Oh, by the way, oh, missed a verse. Uh, Paul said this in Colossians. Colossians 1.27. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I love that. God has chosen to make known. How are you going to make God known to the Gentiles? Christ in you, God's presence in you. That's how the Gentiles will know who I am. Um, love that. Again, presence, not performance. Um, <clears throat> anyway, Jesus said this in Matthew five thirteen: You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Um, he calls us salt. Uh, you know, we don't. The nature of salt it was really critical in those days because it did a lot of things. Uh, it preserved food. Um, I think Jesus is trying to say in part, we're, we're there to preserve the world. We're the, we're the difference between a world that will go into decay and one that can be preserved if you'll exercise your saltiness. I, I did, uh, it was an interesting week, had several dinners that we put on. I'm not, I'm not a great cook, but I barbecue pretty well. And uh, used a lot of salt. Uh, and I I noticed that I thought about it as I was putting this together, thinking, you know, it's not like I put, you, you put salt, you put enough salt on the food to bring out the flavor of the food. 
It's not so much about, oh, I want this to taste really salty. That's not the point of salt. The salt enhances the flavor of the food. It's like, ooh, this tastes really good now because you salted it. Um, you know, my mom used to cook everything, just boil vegetables, never putting salt in it. And I thought, oh, these are tasty. I never, I never knew Brussels sprouts could taste so good if you just put some salt on it and roast them. And... Anyway, uh, so I think that's a great picture for us. I think we have the chance as salt uh, to make life taste better. People see that. People go, oh, that's, that's how to live life. That's what makes life taste good. But if we lose that, if we don't engage people, if we don't spread our salt, if we keep ourselves in the salt shaker, um, it's not going to impact anyone. People won't know that there's a God that offers a different, more abundant uh, life opportunity. Uh, said in the next two verses, 14 to 16, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and what glorify your Father in heaven. (laughs) I love that. It's not about, oh, look at me. Look how good a person I am. If we, if we just have God's presence, if we have a growing relationship with him, it shines a light. And what's the response? Oh, they see God. They glorify God because of your life, um, which is pretty cool, I think. Um, <laughs> I thought three things that light, I'm sure it does more, but I just kind of picked out three. One, light reveals. You know, you, you shine a light, it's like, oh, I see more. I, see, I can see things. We, we do that. If we'll honor our relationship with God, if we'll be light in the world, people, we reveal more of what life can be to people. Uh, secondly, it directs. I mean, yeah. Your word's a lamp unto my feet. I think that's a good metaphor for this. But if we're exercising, if we're not putting our light undercover, if we're letting our relationship with God show, uh, it directs people. It kind of, again, oh, that's how to live life. That's the path that I want to be on. I couldn't see the path before. I didn't understand how life could be lived. Uh, and then finally it reflects. And I love this analogy. Um, you know, we're, we're like the moon. Uh, the moon has absolutely no light of its own. But the moon is gorgeous when the sun hits it just right. Um, that's the opportunity we have. We don't have any light of our own. But if we'll allow people to see God in us, it's like it's... That's gorgeous. Tell me more about that light. Um, how'd that happen? Well, I just have to face the sun, and I show off who God is to people. That's what's attractive to people. Well, I'll just give one example of my own life. Uh, I think I've got time. Sure, why not? Uh, when I came to college, uh, I've told this story before, but I, th- I think this could be a, I wish it was like three weeks down the road, we had a bunch of college students in the room, but <clears throat> I think you have three choices when you go to college. Speaking of that culture, it's one I know well. One is, uh, I'm just, this was kind of my thought, this wasn't my primarily, uh, oh, forget that, let me just continue. Yeah, choice number one, I'm going to take full advantage of this culture. In some ways, when I left home, I was like, I'm, I want the college life, that's what I'm looking for. Total give in. Some people call it kind of time out. 
I'm going to take this four years and fully give myself to college, and then I'll get back to that relationship with God that I had in high school. It doesn't work really well. Um, so that's option one, is just time out or give in. Uh, big group of people that come to school. Second group would be those that compromise, say, I, I want both. And that was really me. I had just gave my life to Christ and said, gosh, I really want that relationship, but I really want all of what college has to offer me. Um, so I tried to live both, gave myself in to both, uh, to a point where, unless I told somebody, they'd never know that I had a relationship with God. Uh, and I suffered as a result. And certainly had no salt, no light uh, to shine because I gave so much into the culture, even though I still wanted to and still gave myself to this relationship. It just it was miserable for months until I finally said, this, i got to choose. Um, the third option is, you know, I'm going to choose to engage in the culture, but I'm going to put God on display at the same time. Uh, how much you give into that culture, I don't know. But if your primary focus, if your primary desire is, I'm going to put God on display. I'm going to honor and grow my relationship with Jesus. And guess what? You can take advantage of some of what is good about the college culture and make a difference. Um, you know, my, that was a transition for me. I lived in a fraternity house and found myself at the end of the first year going, it's going to be a tough place to live now because I'd made that commitment about six months into it to go, I've got to change. I've got to prioritize God in my life. I want God to be in control. But I, uh, I have to kind of reestablish. I've, in a sense, I kind of lost my saltiness. Um, but because I chose to put God on display, which really went, I, re- I really chose God. I really chose to have that relationship. Um, it made a difference. I eventually had a Bible study in our house. I was president of the house. Made an impact in the culture that I was in. I didn't. My response wasn't, "I got to get out of here. I got to go live by myself somewhere and get my life together." No, was, you know, God will give me what I need if I'll honor Him, if I'll trust Him. And it was so much more rewarding to see how my life was much better, but how God could use me and use my friends and, uh, you know, create a community that impacted people. Uh, so that's, uh, that's what it boils down to. Uh, that's what my invitation and my challenge to all of us is, as we kind of look at our areas of engaging culture for you. How am I doing? How am I, how's my salt? How's my light? Uh, my priorities, and again, it's uh, it's presence of God, not performance. It's position, not performance. Uh, so, uh, as a, as a church, I would say, similar. You know, it's not about right doctrine. People don't come to a church and say, "Hey, give me your uh, mission statement. Give me your doctrinal stand." Okay, this is a church I want to be involved in. And there may be a couple people like that. The vast majority of people walk in the door and they go, "Oh." This is a community. I see God here. I want to be a part of whatever's going on. Um, That's the kind of church I want us to be. And I think it starts with if each of us will just work on our own relationship with Christ, grow, spend time, uh, then together we will reflect more of who God is to our community. We'll make a difference. We'll transform uh, our culture, your workplace, your relationships, your college life. Will change as a result. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. 
You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.